The cybercrime scene has been taking its foot off the pedal in almost every possible area. That's the one-sentence summary of the ESET telemetry data from May through August. But what's the reason for this drop? Did cybercrime stop being profitable? Were all the bad guys arrested? Did the ransomware gangs change their profession and start doing something useful for once? We'll go down the rabbit hole with you on this and explain, expanding on several topics such as the brutal decline in brute force attacks and the normalization of the ransomware scene's messaging and targeting of victims. My name is Ari Goretsky, and I'm ESET's Distinguished Researcher and host of this ESET Research Podcast. In today's episode, we'll dive deep into findings from our latest ESET threat report, publishing our research and awareness of the threatscape. Uh, this is a 46-page document, so we have a lot to look at. We're going to highlight some of the th discoveries over this three-month period. And not only do we have an incredibly detailed threat report, we have one of its authors and ESET's own security awareness specialist, Andre Kubovich, with us. It's a genuine pleasure to have Andre here, um, not just because he is so knowledgeable about the threat report, but because he is also the secret mind behind the production of this ESET Research Podcast. Andre, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Um, so, you know, taking a look at um, our threat report for the um, second third of 2022, I, I think the thing that sticks out the most is in almost every category, we've seen a decrease in the number of malware and threats. Um, I did note, though, that there was one area where we did see an increase um, of nearly 10%, and that was in Android spyware. Um, does that mean the bad guys are flocking to Android, or is it a sign of something else? Actually, it wasn't just the spyware that was growing, but this was the most significant growth that we have seen in the Android malware category. And uh, I mean, there is no evidence that would point to the fact that uh, some Microsoft or Linux oriented attackers are refocusing on Android. So I wouldn't go that way. With Android, it has always been a separate scene and separate type of malware, which means that different types of attackers were doing this even in the past. So I would just say they are trying to improve their products, if you want to say that. And that's what we also saw in this third, in, in between May and August, because we have seen quite the increase in the GB WhatsApp applications. This is a fake version of the WhatsApp. It's quite interesting because it promises a few additional features and many people are willing to download it from weird web pages and weird forums despite there being a official version on the app market. So people are still downloading this and getting it bundled with malware that is stealing their information and sending it to the attackers. 
And I take it it does not actually provide the additional features either. Maybe some of the versions do, but it's not that special that you would need to download it from an unofficial uh, source. And yeah, you know, WhatsApp is a heavily used uh, tool for communication around the world. So even if just a fraction of its users are trying to take advantage of this this you know purported uh, improved version, which is nothing but malware, it definitely can have an impact. Yeah, it can. And actually, WhatsApp is even reacting to this as they are temporarily banning some of the accounts that are trying to use these fake versions of the of the app because they are aware of the problem. And it's coming typically from markets that are a little bit less developed. So Egypt, Brazil, India, Peru, those are the countries where we have seen most of the detections. So even the company itself knows this is a problem and are trying to do some countermeasures. Well, it's it's good to see that um, they are taking notice of it and indeed uh, trying to combat uh, the abuse of the uh, service and the software. And uh, hopefully, you know, this is not something that we'll be seeing used for um, more sophisticated a- attacks. Um, but, you know, what the future holds is always kind of open-ended. Um, so, you know, one of the biggest problems that has been uh, facing people um, from around the world over the, the past several years has been ransomware. Um, we've seen uh, increasing large amounts of it, larger targets, things such as hospitals, gas pipelines, other critical infrastructure uh, targeted. Um, and it seems like there's there's been no end to it being deployed. But um, in this threat report, we we did see a little bit of a decline. Yeah, that's true. We have seen a decline of 24% in our telemetry. But the problem with that statistic is that you only see the ransomware attacks per se. So almost any attack that you can see, any intrusion, can end up with ransomware. And we are trying to block the attackers as soon as we know that they are trying to get in. So sometimes you can block a brute force RDP. So somebody's trying to guess your password. You can block that and they don't get in. You can block uh, some downloader that is trying to download the uh, ransomware in the end. And if you're successful, then the ransomware never gets to, the, to, to be detected. So that's why the statistics is showing something else than what the reality might hold. Uh, but... What's interesting to see in the last T, we have seen a change in the targeting because as the war between Russia and Ukraine started in T1 in February, we have seen quite the big uh, influx of uh, hacktivists who are trying to hit Russia with uh, ransomware also. This was something new. There was even some uh, variants that had this messaging saying that uh, glory to Ukraine and Russian babies and they were mocking Russia, actually. So that was what we saw in the first four months. And now that has disappeared. So also the numbers of these hacktivists are probably dwindling and going down. And that's 
probably why we have also seen the decline in our telemetry. But I wouldn't say ransomware is going away right now. We, we still see a lot of attacks that are targeting large corporations uh, that are trying to extort them for large sums of money. But there was there were also some changes in that aspect because there were activities of the police and law enforcement and also regulators that put a curb to it. Um, for those of our listeners who may not follow the <clears throat> ransomware scene in depth, um, you should be aware that this is a, a highly specialized um, marketplace where you often have initial access brokers um, breaking into systems and they then sell access to the actual people who deploy the ransomware. And then there's a whole chain of other organizations or entities involved um, doing everything from uh, c collecting the payout uh, to laundering the money and so forth. So what Andre has been talking about is by blocking those initial attempts um, by the IABs to get into the system, we disrupt the ransomware uh, ecosystem, um, at least in as much as it getting into that initial foothold, um, you know, to actually deploy the ransomware. So um, I'd like to actually um, focus on something you mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, you mentioned the, the impact of the Russian-Ukraine war. Um, is it possible that with the, the sanctions against Russia and the inability of Russian citizens to move currency around, that that has had an impact on ransomware uh, deployment and cash outs. It seems very likely because uh, even the whole decline in uh, malware and crimeware that we have seen in T2 is probably influenced by the conflict. As you, as you probably know, there were some changes. Uh, Russia has been cut off from the global internet, or at least partially. And there were also some changes uh, in, in the orientation of the attackers. So some of the crimeware uh, attackers might have been drafted into the army. So they are not actually working on the crimeware now and they are well, maybe fighting on the front, we don't know. And also the uh, larger groups, the, the ones that are, have some ties to the official structures uh, might have had some changes in their way of operation and they might have been supporting them. That was, for example, the case of Conti. That was a one of the most prolific ransomware gangs, which was pretty active before and was pretty active even after. Hitting targets uh, that were in favor of Russia. Interesting. And, you know, we certainly haven't heard a lot about them lately. So it seems like they've turned their interest elsewhere. Um, or as you noted, perhaps they're on the uh, uh, Russian-Ukrainian front. Actually, there was a quite a bit of information because there was this big leak, actually called Conti leak on Twitter. And you could have read all their communication internal uh, and external you could know you could find out what the business structure was how they operated how they'd made money and that leak was so catastrophic that they had to dissolve 
but we know that some of the operators have moved to other uh, groups or gangs or whatever you want to call them so Hive had some new operators from Conti, uh, Black Basta, Black Cat and many others so Speaking of the individual ransomware uh, gangs, um, Lockbit did something uh, interesting, which I don't think I've seen before, at least at any scale. And that's that this ransomware group um, started offering its own bug bounty program for finding exploits and vulnerabilities uh, in their own tooling. Can you tell us a little about that? Yes, it was a first. You're right about that. There was no other ransomware gang that offered something like this. And they offered uh, anywhere, as for the payouts, it was anywhere between 1000 and $1 million in Monero. Uh, and that's uh, why they were trying to pay this out to different people, typically unethical hackers, <laughs> who would provide them with information about vulnerabilities in their code, or in the leak site that they were using on Tor network. And actually, there was the, the largest payout, the $1 million, was promised to anybody who could identify the person running the affiliate program. So if you would contact them and tell them uh, your name is John Doe and you're running the affiliate program and you were right, then you would get a million dollars from them in Monero. Of course, we don't know anything about the payouts. So uh, if you want to know about that, you would have to ask the gang itself. That is one of the things I was wondering about, um, because, you know, if the, if there's one thing that we've seen, you know, time and time again, there is no honor amongst thieves. Um, so it would be completely unsurprising if they had promised someone a payout and not delivered. I mean, they promised some people to pay them if they got a tattoo of their logo. And I think about like four or five, a few individuals really did it and they got paid. But I'm not saying that says anything about the payouts in the bug bounty program. So, um, one thing that ransomware often uses, um, when we're talking about, um, initial access brokers is, um, the use of, uh, brute forcing RDP credentials, uh, to get in, uh, to, uh, a victim's network. And over the past two years, we've seen a huge increase, uh, from, uh, 20 beginning of 2020 through end of 2021 on RDP attacks but it, it seems like um, we're now seeing a a massive drop in those can you tell us a little bit more about that yes it was one of the probably most popular attack vectors that the attackers were using in the last two years so since the beginning of the pandemic uh, between 2020 and 2021 we only saw it grow and in 2021 the whole year when we counted the, the number of these password guesses that we have seen in our telemetry it got up to almost 300 billion with a b in the beginning so it was quite a huge number but then something happened in january on it was like exactly on january 10th when the numbers started dropping quite rapidly and they didn't recover 
up until now actually so we have seen quite the big drop which is a little bit hard to explain but we have seen it in our telemetry that's that's interesting and and we're we're certain that the drop in observation um in our, our telemetry is because the attacks have decreased it's not been them going undetected um or anything like that we are pretty sure because we are also uh, looking at brute force attacks against SMB and SQL and all of those attack vectors have been going down since exactly the same date. So January 10th was kind of the, the, the date when everything changed for for the attackers. And yeah, that that's probably what confirms our assumption that this has some connection probably even with the war in Ukraine because... It was a few weeks before the invasion started and we know that the attackers that were running some of the most high profile and destructive attacks that we have seen in Ukraine since the war started were preparing for it weeks before. So this is in that time frame and we could probably assume that there was some connection too. Interesting. That would be just about the time everyone was starting uh, to get back from uh, Russian Orthodox observed uh, Christmas uh, New Year's uh, events. Yes, yes, they have it a little bit later than everybody else. So, yeah, probably uh, when the new year started, they had some new orders or we don't know. It's just the guesswork here. But yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, start the new year with a new round of threats. Um, of course, that may not be the, the only reason. What are some of the competing theories um, for why we've seen this change? I mean, as we are just having some theories why this change happened, uh, we also have three others that we can mention. One is that at the beginning of 2022, the situation with regards to COVID pandemic was getting, let's say, better. There were less lockdowns, less people were working remotely. So there was also less companies or less organization, lower number of organizations that were using RDP so heavily as in the past two years so that's one probable explanation then there is the other one that it departments became supermans over christmas and they fixed all the bugs and reconfigured rdp to be safe and well protected so that's another one and also uh windows 11 has this new really look good looking feature uh, that is blocking brute force attacks uh the problem is that windows 11 is not that widespread in the organizations, so it's probably a minor factor in this equation. You know, we've talked a little bit about um, uh, attackers gaining access through um, uh, SQL injection, RDP. But um, a lot of the exploits um, that we see also are going through uh, web servers because everyone has a web server and it's uh, even if it's, it's public facing, it's somehow connected to their back end. Um, a lot of that has been through uh, Log4Shell and Spring4Shell uh, exploitation. Can you tell us what uh, you've been seeing there? Yeah, if you look at the vulnerabilities and exploitation of them, Log4j and Spring4j were the two that were most prominent in our telemetry in when we looked at the network intrusion vectors. Uh, Log4j is actually the second most abused intrusion vector 
right after password guessing, which we mentioned in case of RDP, SQL, SMB. So yes, the attackers seem to be really focused uh, on the new vulnerabilities that are being published. And if something is as powerful as Log4j, and it was even named endemic now by CISA in the US, uh, I think it's not gonna go away. And we see that also in the telemetry, the, the attacks that were trying to misuse this vulnerability were going up by 14% in the last T, so in the last four months that we have been looking at. Well, th this is um, this is a vulnerability in uh, Apache. And uh, my understanding is it's been patched and uh, the patch is solid. So I, I would have expected um, this to be on the decrease rather than the increase. Is there a problem with the patch not being deployed, uh, not being deployed correctly? Um, are there still edge cases um, that the patch doesn't cover? Uh, can you, you speak a little bit more towards why we're still seeing a web server threat that I would have thought had been getting patched out of existence given its severity. Uh, again, basing this on the info that I have from media stories and like other sources, not based on our telemetry, because we cannot say it from there. Uh, Log4j is a uh, open source library that is often quite well hidden in your product. It can be hidden inside of other features that you you don't even know that you have it in your system so that's why many organizations don't even know they need to patch it so that's one reason and the other one is that there are still a lot of organizations that don't have the time the resources uh, the the focus for it or the will to implement the patches so there will be quite a few uh, of those systems out there still uh, open to misuse and that's probably why CISA is saying this is going to be endemic because we know that it's so widespread, the, the like use of this library, that we are not going to get rid of it even though it has been patched and it has been patched well. So if you have that patch, you're not vulnerable anymore. Uh, thank you for that. Um, before we go, I did want to ask you about one other topic. Um, which w was not covered um, so much in the threat report, um, and that is uh, UEFI malware. Um, we've recently, uh, by we, I mean our researchers, have recently uncovered a lot of vulnerabilities in various computer manufacturers' UEFI firmware. Um, those are just vulnerabilities, and of course, the manufacturers have been patching those as quickly as we've been reporting them. But I'm wondering if we are seeing any active exploitation of these vulnerabilities that were discovered uh, by our colleagues. As far as I know, these are just vulnerabilities that we discovered before they have been exploited. But we already know from the information that we published a few years ago, actually, already, uh, where Sednit, which is one of the, again, Russia-aligned cyber groups, uh, have been abusing 
some of the uh, UFI features uh, to get inside to get a foothold and to be really hard to get rid of on victim systems. So we know that there have been attacks that were misusing UFI, but not exactly these vulnerabilities that our colleagues have been reporting to. Uh, I guess this case was Lenovo, but it's not the only manufacturer that had similar problems and we are trying to inform them and get the patches rolling. Right. And uh, for those of you um, who are not familiar, um, that was the Lojax root kit, uh, which was discovered by our researchers um, being actively uh, deployed and used by the Sednet group against uh, targets around the world. All right. Well, Andre, thank you very much again uh, for taking time out of your schedule and um, also for joining us with the time zone difference in recording this. And um, it's really a pleasure to have someone who has um, worked on the uh, threat report to come and speak with us about it. And hopefully we'll see you again soon in another few months when that next threat report comes out. I hope so. So thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to post-produce this episode as I was a part of it. Fantastic. Well, I'm I'm sure that it will sound uh, fantastic uh, through your uh, audio engineering efforts and be just the perfect ESET research podcast. This has been an episode of the ESET research podcast. For more insights from our researchers, follow at ESET Research on Twitter or visit our blog at welivesecurity.com for the latest insight, information, and white papers. This episode has been produced by ESET's researchers from around the world, and in particular, our guest today and producer, Andre Kubovich, who is joining us from Slovakia, the city of Bratislava, the crossroads of Europe. Thank you very much for joining us and listening to our podcast. And we look forward to you listening to us again on this podcast, which you can find wherever you find podcasts. Until the next time, stay safe. <laughs>